Uh, it's a fun time right now. Uh, it's obviously back to school, as you just heard, and some of you are, are in the thick of. Um, it's also, it's the Olympics. Yeah. Now, come on now. Is, I mean, does any, are you guys watching the Olympics at all? Anybody? Of course you are. Hopefully you are. If you're not, come on. Uh, there's nothing like watching the Olympics and watching sports that you ordinarily would have no interest in at any other time of the year, and you're completely invested in it right now. I was watching ping pong yesterday and was like, do it. Come on. Get the serve. Make it happen. You know, I'm amped up watching. Now, you got to admit, if you've ever seen Olympic ping pong players, it really is insanity, okay? It's intense. That's exactly right. And so I was, I was into this. Amy and I were watching uh, several other sports. Did anybody see the injury that took place in gymnastics? Boy, it's one of those things, guys. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't know whether to tell you to go look or not to look. <laughs> Because it is just one of those horrifying injuries that maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know. But you sometimes you can't help but just also watch it. And it's, just, it's like slow motion horror. It's horrifying. Anyhow, there's, there's, that's happening. Competition is at an all-time high. I think the U.S. took home the first gold of uh, the Olympus, which is exciting. Uh, in air rifle shooting, something like that, because I'm very knowledgeable of air rifle shooting competitions. Um, what I love about the Olympics is that you've got people from all over the world, and they're doing their best. They're bringing their A game. They're working super hard. And the level of competition, if you've never competed at a high-level sport before, there is something that just about everybody shares that's at that level. And it's just that capacity to dig down deep and push and work hard and grind it out and to get the job done. You know how many practices those people wanted to probably quit on? You know how many times they wanted to just... It, I'm done. I'm over this. How many tears they've shed, how much sweat has been spilled, how many injuries, sprains, broken bones, dislocations, all for the chance to represent their country the best way they know how and possibly take home a gold medal. The spirit of competition, oh man, it just, it resonates deep down inside of me. I love it. And park that for one second as I connect the dots. Because we started a series last week called Reconciled. And when you look at our country right now, the United States, we don't feel very reconciled. The restoration of two relationships is what reconciled means. It was, it was great, then it was broken, and then it was reconciled back together. It was put back together. And right now, when you look around, so to speak, what we see in our country is a lot of just brokenness. Don't we, would you agree? Whether it's brokenness in the economy, 
brokenness in your bank account, brokenness uh, between ethnicities, specifically in our country, between black and white people. There's a lot of brokenness right now. Throw in other faiths. The list goes on and the list goes on. And what we need more than anything else is to be a people of God who will dig down deep and find that extra reserve tank, so to speak, in your spirit and push and grind and fight for what is right and what is true and for what is godly. We need that that competitive Olympic spirit, so to speak, that just refuses to quit until we see God bring us breakthrough. To bring fully before us reconciliation. You guys with me today? Oh yeah. That's exactly right. God wants to do something great here. When Amy and I moved here, one of the things, my wife, she's not here today. Uh, one of our, our children came down sick last night, and long story short, uh, she's not here. But when Amy and I moved here, one of our, our deeply held beliefs about this church is that there would be something unique in its expression, specifically for the city of Kennesaw and Atlanta at large, that we would see people who do not look the same, come together and worship God under one house, under one roof, worshiping the same God. That we wouldn't just have white church or black church or Asian church, but that every nation could come and worship God together. That's something that we are passionate about right here in this community. And I'm excited that you're here. I hope when you look around that you can see somebody that doesn't just look like you. I think that's amazing. And I think that's a gift. And it means that we're one step closer for for having the opportunity to experience true reconciliation. Here's what we're going to do. Last week we were surprised. I will admit, I, I, I try not to experience surprises. But during worship, the principal of the school came and sat down right next to me last Sunday. It was awesome. And so she came up on stage. She shared her testimony. We just handed her a microphone and let her go. Uh, so I sliced and diced the message a little bit. And we're going to pick up where we left off. And if you weren't here last Sunday, no worries. You, you won't have missed anything because I'm going to bring you up to speed. You guys ready? Yes. Let's do this. Let's pray and we're going to jump in. Father, thank you right now for your Holy Spirit being here. Thank you that you, before we are reconciled with one another, you call us reconciled with you. And so, God, even now we're asking that you would help us to not only see it, but walk it out in practice. Help us today, God. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. iPad's giving me some trouble up here. There we go. Definition of reconciliation. The official one. The act of causing two people to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. Or the act of making one belief compatible with another. 
So Colossians chapter 1, which is our verse that we're using to wrap this series around, it says this in the New Century Version. It says, at one time you were separated from God. You were. I was. You were his enemies in your minds, and the evil things you did were against God. (gasps) That's a lot to swallow. Paul is saying that you and I, what we did, the life that we lived apart from God, it's evil. That bothers me. I don't like to think of myself as being an evil person. But apart from Jesus, scriptures actually say that's exactly what we are. But now God has made you his friends again. He did this through Christ's Death. Now, your, your version, if you're, if you're reading from the NIV, it might say, reconciled. You were his enemies, and God made you his friend again. Even all the way back at the beginning, we see Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God, as friends would do. And so in Scripture, when we see God talking about reconciliation, it's the restoration of what you and I have the capacity to be with God. Friends. It's weird to think about, isn't it? We think about God as being mighty and strong and Savior and Lord, but I don't naturally think of Him as my friend. In the, in the 90s, the number one selling t-shirt, I think it was like 1994, 95, was a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> Anybody remember that t-shirt? Jesus is my homeboy. I'm going to help you out today. Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> he's not your homeboy, but that doesn't mean that he still isn't your friend. And what that suggests to us is we've got to ask ourselves some pretty hard questions at times. And what does it look like for you to be friends with God? Are you being a good friend? Ask yourself that. That's a hard one to swallow at times. Amy's not here, otherwise she would be able to confirm this story. But Amy has some friends that she talks to probably almost every day. The best friends, the BFFs, right? They've got a little ongoing text thread, and at any time during the day, it might just go off. And it's them, and somebody's saying something, or it's a Facebook or whatever. And then occasionally, they kind of do the whole speakerphone deal, and they're all talking together, blah, 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 blah. What I like to do, being a good husband, is when she's not there and her phone goes off, I happen to know these friends pretty well, and so I will impersonate Amy (laughs) in this text thread. And I will generally, I'll throw something in there that's just off enough to where people begin asking questions. Or maybe it's just a little bit off color. You know, I know I'm a pastor, but every once in a while I can throw a little something in there. And all of a sudden, you know, the thing, wait, what? This ha- and, and then immediately, Andy, get off the phone. Andy, we know this is you. And I'll deny it, to, you know, a thousand times. This is not Andy. What can I do to prove it to you? You know, this is not Andy. This is really Amy. This is really how I feel about this. And I'll go on and on and on. And I am literally tears sometimes just coming down my face as I'm laughing at what I just wrote that Amy's friends are reading. And sometimes it's just horribly, horribly rude. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it even better. It's my job as a husband to do these things. 
But here's what I love. I love the fact that their friendship with Amy runs so deep that they can tell when somebody is impersonating her and is not actually representing her the way that she should be represented. So much so that they, they smell it and they smell it so fast. They know it so quick now. When I am texting, even just the verbiage, a word choice that would be mine and not Amy's, they, they know. That's not Amy. That's Andy. Get off the phone. <laughs> and here's the thing. For many of us, we, we know positionally that God has made us friends. We understand that we were sinners and now we're made righteous. But actually, in experience with God, many of us have a difficult time accurately saying that we have a real, bona fide friendship with God. Why? Why is that hard to say? Why do we have difficulty getting that out of our mouth? Because for most of us, many of us, that's actually pretty true. We know God. He saved us. We're Christians. But friendship with him? That feels almost like living on another planet. That's Mars activity right there, to be close with God. And so today, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give you some very churchy things to do today that you've heard a thousand times. And my hope and desire is to bring a little fresh life to it and point you in the right direction to deepen and strengthen your friendship today with God. Because if we cannot walk in reconciled friendship with God, how on earth can we do it with each other? Second Timothy 3.16 says it like this. It says that all Scripture, this is Paul writing, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture, meaning the Bible, has God's breath upon it. Pick up your communication card for a second. Everybody do it for one second. All right, pick up your card, and I want you to do this. <sighs> Breathe on it. I know it's kind of gross, isn't it? It's disgusting. You know, don't smell it. That's, that's really gross. Don't do that. Did anything happen to it? No. Nothing happened to it, other than maybe it getting not so nice as it was a few seconds ago. Nothing happened when you breathed on that communication card. If you took the Bible and you have pages in front of you, or if you have it on a device and you breathe on it, you know what's not going to happen? It's not going to have God's breath upon it. It's somehow going to be useful for correction, for teaching, for training, for rebuking, for all of these things. None of that will take place. But when God breathes on something, you know what it does? brings it to life. Some excited kids at High Point Kids today. <laughs> Guys, track with me for a second. What did God do when he brought Adam to life? He breathed into him. What did the disciples do when they experienced, as we now know, eternal life? What happened? Jesus, it says, breathed the Holy Spirit into them. 
It was his breath. And so when we see God's breath in the Psalms, what we equate that to is life. And when the writer of, of, of Timothy is saying, he's writing this letter to Timothy, that all scripture is God's breathed. There's a word there. It's, it means inspired. It's been inspired by God. And the word inspiration literally means to breathe it in and to breathe it out. So any of you artists here, anyone like to write music, to draw, to paint, to write? Oftentimes we would say that person was inspired by another artist. People get inspired. I'm this way. When I'm in the wilderness and I'm in mother nature, so to speak, I find that ah, inspiring. And what that literally means, that the literal meaning of inspiration is that you are drawing something in. You're, you're breathing it in and you're breathing it out into a song, a, a piece of literature, a drawing or a picture. When Wes and Callie are writing music and something inspires them, well, what, what, what's, what's happening is that thing that has inspired them, they internalize and are trying to breathe out in another context. And so when the scriptures say that all scripture is God-breathed, what the suggestion here is that God literally is breathing in of himself and breathing himself right back out. And he does it into these things that we call the Holy Scriptures. So that Hebrews 4.12, we can say with confidence that the Word of God is alive. And it's active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And yet if there is anything in the Christian community here in 2016 that we have more available to us but do so little of, it's actually reading this beautiful thing we call the Bible. You guys with me? We've taken for granted what friendship with Jesus looks like and the beauty of knowing him by reading his word. And when the gospels say that Jesus is the very word of God, he is the fulfillment of scripture. But make no mistake, you can still read scripture and it points you to Jesus. You're, you discover more and more of who Jesus is and you find yourself inspired, breathing in of who he is. And so the big idea this morning, or one of them, is simply this. We cannot call ourselves friends of God, but be strangers to Scripture. We cannot do that. It's like saying that this is my best friend, but I don't ever talk to him. I don't ever spend time with him. I don't ever engage with them. I don't do any with them. They simply hold this title of being good friend. It's purely title-based. It's not actually relational. And part of knowing Jesus well, part of growing in friendship with him, 
is taking the time to know him through his holy word. That makes sense this morning? I realize that can still feel overwhelming. And so what I want to invite you to do, it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned Christian today or not. Maybe you've grown up in church and the thought of reading the Bible sounds lame, boring. It can be at times. If you've ever just picked up your Bible and thought, well, I guess I'll start at Genesis 1. You're going to make it about three chapters. And then you're going to hit some lists of things and you're going to die a thousand deaths trying to read the Bible for the very first time. Or if you just don't know anything different and you, you decide, you know, I'm going to start in Leviticus. Good luck. You just, I mean, forget taking a sleeping pill. Start there, you're done. You're going to have the best sleep of your life. Okay? I shouldn't say that. Forgive me, Lord. I, I realize Leviticus has its place as well. It does. Thank you. But you wouldn't just naturally feel drawn to start there. Okay? So here's what I want to invite you to do as we, as we begin this journey of deepening friendship and roots. It doesn't matter if you're in middle school, high school, uh, elementary school, or whether you are recently married or you've been married 45 years. Guess what you have the capacity to do? That is grow in depth of friendship with Jesus. And one of the ways we do it is by reading his word. And I would invite you, this is what I tell anybody, if, if this is something that you just haven't done in a very long time, or maybe you've just never done it, period. I would start in the New Testament. I'd start in the book of John. Or if you want to go, even a, a shorter book, do the book of Mark. It's 16 chapters, and it reads like an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. I mean, just action, one after, bam, 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 bam. And all of a sudden, you're interacting and you're seeing Jesus. His word is alive and it's active. And I will admit to you, there is also great mystery about reading the scriptures that I can't just simply quantify as cause and effect. The works mentality in all of us want to be able to do that, and I cannot do that. There is something mysterious about what God did when he breathed of himself into these words. It is mysterious. Mark 1, 35 through 37, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. While it was still dark, he got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed where he prayed, excuse me. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you! Exclamation point. I don't even need to read the rest because we're gonna camp out right here. Jesus got up in the morning. It was still dark outside. He found a solitary place to do what? To pray, to spend time with his heavenly Father. Some of you have got lots of kids here. I've got four. And the thought of having a solitary moment <laughs> sounds like Jesus rising from the grave. And I'd like to tell you, every once in a while I do have one. Or I, I kind of create one. 
I'd like to tell you that I spend it worshiping God or praying or reading the scriptures. Most of the time I'm eating a food, you know, that I don't want my kids to see me eating because they're going to want what I'm eating. So I'm basically hiding in some place in my home eating like an ice cream cone. If you think I'm kidding, this happened literally last week. Caroline found me, and I was literally in like a closet eating an ice cream. I was like, I, this won't ruin my appetite, but if my kids find me, it will ruin theirs. So they can't find, I'm going to find a place, and I'm going to do this by myself, and it's going to be amazing. Didn't happen. Found me out. There I was, ice cream on my face, you know, probably some chocolate, whatever, I don't care. I mean, when you, you'll discover this as parents. And, and I, I mean this in love. I love my children. And one of the most glorious times of the day is when everybody's asleep. It's glorious. It, I shouldn't feel as excited as I do when it happens, but I do. It's awesome, okay? But hear, hear this. Because Jesus found a solitary place. You know what everybody else was doing? They were looking for him. Where have you been? Jesus, people are looking for you. Like, there's stuff that you got to get done, Jesus. You're the only one who has the capacity to get this job done. And I know in my own life, it feels like that is the, that is the ever-increasing text message, phone call, email is, where, where are you? We need this to get done. You're the only one who can do it. That's obviously not entirely true. But my point is, it doesn't take long for the demands of the day to begin creeping in upon you. And it's why Jesus took the time, knowing that he must value his relationship with his heavenly father, to carve out time before the day started, before people could find him, before little ones could be asking for breakfast, before work made its demands, before husbands and wives needed to have marriage conversations that you would have my time and I'm going to get up even when it's still dark and I'm going to spend time with you. Nowadays, it's hard to do, isn't it? I say nowadays as if it was easier then. But here's the caveat. We have more streaming for our attention as human beings right now than ever before in the history of the world. And that does include then your phone i love my phone i shouldn't say that i i enjoy my phone <laughs> that thing that thing's going off every 2 seconds facebook updates instagram updates twitter updates facebook this text messages emails netflix alerts that deals that are i mean what <laughs> buy one get one bing it's always happening there are updates happening all the time. And the thought of having a solitary moment, for many of you, it almost feels anxious-ridden. The thought of being quiet, the thought of no noise, the thought of silence, it, it can almost nowadays become suffocating because we're so used to being so busy, so full, and plates spinning thousand miles a minute. Can anybody relate to that? 
Of course you can. <clears throat> to help illustrate this, let me share this story. This is a true story. In South Minneapolis, there's a room that is 99.99% soundproof. It is considered the most soundproof room in the entire world, in Minneapolis, of all places. It holds the Guinness World's Record for being the quietest place. It has three foot thick acoustic wedges, double walls of insulated steel and concrete that's over a foot thick. NASA, when NASA was fully operational, would rent the room out to train their astronauts because it was so quiet. Whirlpool would use it to test the quietness of their washing machines. Harley Davidson would do the same to produce a motorcycle that was more, that was, that was more quiet. And Stephen Orfield, the president of the company that created the lab, said that when he goes inside, when anyone goes inside, excuse me, you can hear your literal body's organs working. Now, you've all heard, you know, when you put your ear on somebody's stomach or something like that, or your tummy gurgles. But imagine hearing your lungs work. It's strange to think about, isn't it? Now, you can hear your lungs working, your intestines working, all the little valves and things working. It's so quiet. And so what they did is they decided to see who could stay the longest in this room. And the record for being able to stay in a room that's that quiet, the world record is 45 minutes. Wow. It is that bothersome to sit in a room that is that quiet and hear every single thing. We don't know what that's like. We think, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, you think that. And then you hear, you hear everything. Every little rub of the skin, every, every heart ticking, your blood pumping. And it's, like the, it's like an X-Men, you know, or a superhero quality. All of a sudden, you can just hear everything. You've ever seen Bruce Almighty before? You know, and all of a sudden he can hear all the prayer requests and he's just completely overwhelmed and bombarded by all these sounds and he just wants to make it stop. He's overwhelmed by it. That's the same thing that we have here. We're so unaccustomed to being silent, to being quiet. Obviously, this is an extreme measure, but let's bring it back down to normalcy. Even just being apart from your phone is a stretch these days. People hardly watch a TV show without also twiddling on their phone, working on their computer, scanning something on an iPad. We have things happening all the time, and we wonder why our friendship with Jesus suffers because so much is crammed into our day that we never take the time to seek him and truly be quiet before him. That you might be able to speak to him and he might be able to speak right back. If we're going to be reconciled to him, don't you think it would be a good place to start in growing in how we pray 
in growing in how we invest our time, even if it was just 10 minutes a day. What if you took 10 minutes a day to read the Bible and another five to 10 to pray? Do you think that it just might have an impact on your life? I bet it would. I bet it would impact your decision-making. The capacity to know which direction to go on a certain thing. Most of the time, we get desperate and we try to fill up the friendship bucket at points of decision to try to hear God when in reality we should have just been walking in consistent relationship with Him. And when the decision junction comes, you just instinctively are able to pray and be led by God in it rather than trying to feel the weight of trying to miracle grow a friendship in record time so that you know what to do. That's what most of us do. Rather than just consistently pursuing Him, consistently being quiet before Him, consistently speaking and praying, consistently just listening, consistently reading our Bibles. I've given us two things. I could create a list that is really long. But there's a reason why I'm starting just there. Because as Christians right now, the Christian community at large, this is not just an our church thing. This is a, this is a global phenom, but specifically here in the States, we just have forsaken the simple things of a healthy relationship with Jesus. Reading your Bible and praying. It doesn't make you not a Christian to not do those things. But you are crazy to think that the intimacy that you can have with Jesus isn't impacted by not investing time in a relationship with him. You guys with me? Don't mistake the work of God for the God of the work. See, most of us find ourselves with, with a thousand things creeping into our day. And honestly, most of them are probably pretty good. Especially as a, a minister, right? Oh, well, I'm growing God's church. I'm doing good things. I'm being an honorable employee right now. And all of these things, the reality is we justify all of these other things. We get things confused with work and God. I love what Edward Bounds says as we begin to wrap. We're going we're gonna to prepare for communion here in just a moment. But preacher and evangelist, his name was Edward Bounds in the late 1800s. He says, men and women who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, it's opportunity and freshness. And other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking Him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, He will be in the last place the remainder of the day. <laughs> oh, that's strong. Now, can we become legalistic about all of these things? Of course. Strangely so. 
No one is here that's getting ready to call you and try to determine whether you've read your Bible or, or prayed today. Hey, how, you know, have you, did you set your clock? You know, how many minutes did you get in? There's no accountability that, that I, as a staff member, providing you in this moment. This is where you've got to dig down and get a little bit of that Olympic gold medalist attitude and say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. I need to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And doggone it, I'm not going to let just being sleepy keep me from knowing the creator of heaven and earth. I'll go to bed a little bit earlier and get up a little bit earlier that I might seek him in the morning. Get your coffee going. Read that Bible and begin to pray and to invest time in the one friendship that is greater than every other friendship. And that's Jesus.